Welcome home. There's always room for one more. It's good to be with you this week. I was knocked out two weeks ago, caught that thing called COVID that everybody's trying to run from, left me out for about about a week, but kind of slowly recuperating um, this week and back at it. And it's good to be back with you. You know, as I was watching online last week, I commiserate with everybody that is watching online. Church is meant to be done in community. Uh, and doing that from uh, your bed at home, just for me, ah, it was tough. That's why we're trying our best for those of you that are watching online to make sure that you feel like you are a part of something bigger. And for those of you that are here in person, thank you for leaning in to that community. We've got to do it with masks for a couple of weeks. We're holding, hoping it's only for that just to kind of mitigate any transmission that we may have. Thank you for uh, abiding by that. So here's where we're headed. Hope has a name. Dr. Ken Jones talked to us last week about the fall, about our closeness and proximity to God. And we're going to be staying in Genesis today with that question, what are you made to do? Uh, so here, here's where we begin, to, to begin our mind percolating on, on the topic that we're, that we're speaking on today. I don't know if you guys remember uh, a, a computer game called Roller Coaster Tycoon. Did anybody play that one? Yeah, 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 a few of you, right, right. So think back to like the mid-2000s. I got this computer game for Christmas, and I loved it. It was so fantastic. You got to build your own roller coasters and a little amusement park. And you remember if you didn't put enough trash cans out, then the trash would just kind of pile up on the sidewalk. People would just kind of, kind of nasty, right? So you had to put some more trash cans out. And I remember beginning that game and saying, man, there's, there's so much potential in this game. There's so many things going on that, that I can do. You start with this kind of beginning map that's just, wow, like this is, this is fantastic. The, the world is completely and utterly mine. I can do anything that I could possibly, the raw resources are right in front of me, anything that I could possibly need. And that's where the Bible begins. Genesis chapter one, verse one. We'll put it on the screen for you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You remember the story, right? Not, not that you were there at that time, but you've heard the story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, there's a lot of assumptions that happen in this very first passage of Scripture that in somehow there, there is a God. God is just existent. There's no beginning to God. And we translate in the beginning, perhaps a better way to render the Hebrew there is as it was happening. Just kind of this point in time. As time went on, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we don't necessarily know what the it was or how much time had passed before God began to create the heavens and the earth. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he's pretty good at it, right? He can just kind of speak things into existence and they appear. Wouldn't you like to do that with your assignments that you had to do this week, right? Assignment, exist, and like, ah, there it is, right? A plus to your teacher, no effort, right? God began to speak, and in some ways, I think he was singing uh, probably better than um, our golf cart karaoke. Uh, but light, sky and water, ground and plants. By the way, that was my, President Patterson did fantastic. It was, it was me that was, that was rough. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that one for the team. Sun, moon and stars, birds and fish, land and animals, and then humans all coming into existence by the very word of God that he, he speaks and there it is, right in front of him. And then we get to the creation of humanity. Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image. Think about this a moment ago. To be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 27. So God created human beings 
in his own image. In the image of God, he created. This is a Hebrew structure to say, we are unequivocally created in the image of God. It's there for emphasis. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. We are created in the the image of God. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And that takes us back to Sabbath school, right? Or Sunday school for some of us. Got the little flannel graph on the board. You got all the animals and everything. God's bending down over humanity. And there's some stark language there, right? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, rule and subdue. Now, the fruitful and multiply part, I think humanity's pretty much got that covered. I mean, we're here today and Adam and Eve lived very, very long ago, right? Rule and subdue, that's governing language in some ways, that's royal language. And we as humanity feel a burden to make sure that the world is structured in a way, well, that really fits my own benefit more often than not, right? Okay, so Genesis 1, 26 to 28, basically, if we were to sum it up, make more humans and world domination, right? That kind of sounds like maybe we could pitch that to Hollywood to make a movie. But what we lose in Genesis chapter 1 is something that we must pick up in Genesis chapter 2 because if Genesis chapter 1 is the 30,000 foot view, it's the forest, we're not in the trees, it's the perspective of the creation of this world from the heavens. And we come to Genesis chapter 2 verse 4 and the script is flipped. This is the account of the creations of the heavens and the earth finishing up the seven days of creation with Sabbath. And then in this verse, the narrative is flipped. When the Lord God made the, notice, the earth and the heavens. Now all of a sudden, the camera view zooms in. We're no longer up in the airplane at 30,000 feet. No, we are down on the ground. And the story continues, verse 5. Neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth, for the Lord had, yet, had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. And verse 6, instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. And we got to push, like, pause real quick, right? Because this story goes against the creation story that we learned in Sabbath school. Didn't God create everything? But now the creation account is saying there are some things that have yet to have have popped up and grown. Like, what's up with that? It's kind of like as if God had laid out the sod along the earth. He'd put in the sprinkler system, and then he waits. You see, Christianity, or not Christianity, the world is waiting in this moment. Yeah, the raw material and everything is there, but God is waiting to bring about someone to cultivate the soil. It's as if we, uh, I know Meyerson is coming up end of the month, February 27, coming out to that, get your tickets online, right? Those of you that have participated at Meyerson, whether you're in the choir or in the band or the orchestra, there is a moment where everybody that's in the choir, the band or the orchestra gets up on stage, right? Everybody's there, you're, you're in your, you're dressed to the nines, you got your tuxedo on or your full length dress and there's a pause. There's a wait, there's a moment before the conductor walks out to center stage where everybody kind of just holds their breath. This is that moment in the creation story. Probably happened sometime in the afternoon on day six. God's got everything running, but he needs someone to participate with him in creation. 
And the story continues on. It's familiar to us. There's echoes in in Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils. And the man became a living person. Verse 8. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he placed the man he had made. God gets down on his hands and knees. He's willing to do that on behalf of, of humanity in creation and in recreation. And he gives Eden as our first home. Now, Eden's a beautiful word. It means delight or pleasure. It's a place of utmost joy. And God says, that's where I want humanity to live. I wanna, want you to live in a garden named delight. Sign me up, right? Like, let's go. Get me off of this planet right now. Let's find the garden of delight. He puts the human in the middle of that garden. You see, God intended for humanity to live in a garden named delight. And the story continues on. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. Then the Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the land, trees that were beautiful, that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed Two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And this is not the sermon today. We're going to dive in about what the tree of life meant and the knowledge of good and evil. That's for another time. But what we do have to pull out of this particular verse is that God creates a garden of trees. They're all over the place. Imagine walking under the canopy of Eden as these trees are sprouting up from the ground. God has formed man. And then he says, look at these trees. And they sprout up from the ground. The verses continue on, verse 10. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the ground and then dividing it into four branches. Verse 11. The first branch called the Pishon flowed around the entire land of Havilah where the gold is found. Then the the, the gold of of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx and stone are also found there. The second branch called the Gihon flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, called the Tigris, followed the, in, the follow, flowed east of the land of Asher. The fourth branch is called the Euphrates. G, er, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, plants this garden. And it becomes the center of the world in a very literal sense. There's trees all over the place and rivers flowing out of that garden. And in order for rivers to flow out of this garden, this garden must be situated on top of a hill. Water flows down, right? That's, that's gravity. You can go to the continental divide in the United States. Everything east of that divide will flow east. Everything west of that divide will flow west. This garden is centered on a hill. And those waters extend from that garden in order to water the rest of the earth. And see, here's a misconception that we face regularly with the Garden of Eden. Right? We look at the Garden of Eden and we say, oh, how beautiful, how pleasant. All Adam and Eve have to do once they're created is just kind of blissfully go through life, frolic through the garden, pick some fruit here or there. They have nothing else, no other purpose than to run around and be naked and unashamed. Right? That's a very, very shallow reading of what's happening here in the garden. And the reason for that comes in the very next verse that we will stay in for the rest of of this morning. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to what? To tend and to watch over it. 
Other, verses, other versions of scripture will say to cultivate and to keep it. God in the beginning gives humanity purpose to tend and to watch over the land. And by the way, the previous verses that we just read about all the rivers flowing and the different minerals and the, and the gems and diamonds that are in these different areas, God sets up the Garden of Eden as a raw material resource for Adam and Eve. It's all there. God places man and woman in that garden to tend and to watch over it. The raw material, the raw potential is all there. I Over the pandemic, my wife and I started watching uh, Lego Masters. Has anybody watched that on Fox? Right? If you, yeah, I see you. Yeah, you're right. That show is amazing because these Lego Masters come in, right? And they, they start with these blocks that are all sorted out into different areas. And there's the yellow ones over here and the blue ones over there and all the sizes and everything else. And they start with all the raw material. And then by the end of the episode, you've got some incredible builds Some that are taller than me and they're building bridges and fantasy characters and neighborhoods and all this stuff. It's like, you can turn the raw material into something that beautiful. I mean, I remember as a kid when I pulled my Lego bin out, uh, I would put a kind of blanket down on the ground and you kind of like dump the whole bin out, right? I did it once just on the floor and it was a pain to like go pick up every piece. If you dump it on a blanket, then when you're done, you're just back in the bucket and you're good to go. I remember having the raw materials and wishing that I could build stuff like that, but it just never quite looked right, right? And you can follow the instructions and when you get the, the little build kit and like everything looks good and you play, for it for, play with it for about three weeks and you're like, I wonder if I can turn this helicopter into a dinosaur. And then it never looks the same again, right? You're always missing that one piece. That's exactly what God does for humanity. He says, all the raw material is here and I want to partner with you in this endeavor of creation. Tim Keller puts it this way in his book, Every Good Endeavor. He says, our work is rearranging the raw materials of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. It's the meaning of cultivate. That's the the meaning of keep, that we would take the raw potential, the raw energy that God gives us in order to continue to create a world that is beautiful and full of delight. From the beginning, God wanted to partner with humanity to create. We come to the end of Genesis chapter one where it talks about the Sabbath and, and God says, wow, look at everything. Everything's really good. It's very good. It's good, good. And we wipe our hands and be like, oh, Very cool, the earth is complete. Creation is over. No, 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 no. Creation was just getting started. God, in that beginning, in Eden, God was just getting started. That blew my mind this week. I know you guys are kind of sitting there like, oh, okay, that's cool. It'll start to make sense here in a moment. You see, if we see the creation story as finishing with day seven, Then it's like pulling the bin of Lego out onto our floor and being satisfied that we've accomplished something just by dumping the raw material in the middle of the room. You pull your mom or your dad in, you're like, look! And they're like, what is it? And you're like, I don't know, but isn't it kind of cool? They're like, yeah. It's like you didn't do anything. It's just the raw material. Albert Walters puts it this way. Mankind as God's representatives on earth, we carry on where God left off. Where God left off in creation, we carry on in partnership with him. It makes sense that as God's image image bearers, we would carry on with creation. 
We work in the same way that God works. At least we should. And if we don't, things kind of go south for us. And with the language as thorough as, as fruitful and multiply and, and fill the earth, rule over it, subdue it, cultivate it, and keep it, God is wanting his image bearers, you and me, to promote and promulgate his way, his culture, his kingdom, and to be preserved and furthered all over the earth, participating with God to make this world the best it possibly could be. What were you made to do? That's exactly what you were made to do. And could there possibly be an application from this garden named delight to our mental health? I would offer to you this morning that I think there is. Thank you very much for asking. Our minds, in turn, are exactly like that garden. You see, when we're born, we are full of raw material and raw potential. The family that you are brought into, the schools that you go to, the things that you learn begin to form and to shift the garden of your mind. Begin to take it in ways and places, some things good and some things bad. Today we've kind of harped on the good side, right? Man, there's some bad things that happen in our life that shape and mar our garden. We say, I don't want to go anywhere near that part of my mind because that part, there's some bad stuff that's happened over there. You see, we are tasked with shaping the world around us so that it will transform the garden within us. We are both garden and gardener, field and farmer. What were you made to do? I hate to break it to you, but you were made to work. None of this laying back, kind of chilling around. Uh, Sandy's saying, yep, absolutely. Not playing around. We were made to work. You've been there, right? Kind of, it's lazy. Yeah, it's good to take a lazy day, right? But a few lazy days in a row, you start to feel like, man, there's something more. There's something better in this life than just kind of Netflix and video games, right? It start to, starts to take a toll on you. You know, all of this sounds fine, well, and great, right? Yeah, garden of our mind, like, like, like let's make it work, woohoo. You're going to go find some miracle grow later on this evening or this week. You're like, yeah, let's dump it in. Let's make the garden of our mind work, right? How can we possibly accomplish this? What does it look like for us to take the principles of Genesis in Eden, where we were made to work, where we were made to cultivate and grow a place on earth where heaven and earth could meet and we could make the best possible environment for a close connection with God. What does that look like for our minds? Well, do you remember those rivers that flowed out of Eden? Eden's placed on a hill and there's, there's rivers that, that flow. And we sang it in the song just a, a few moments ago, right? Praise to the Lord of the, the living waters. Well, there's this guy by the name of Jesus. I don't know if you've heard of him. I'm pretty fond of him and I think he's fond of you too. He met a woman by a, a well in, in John chapter 4. And they have a lot of conversation. There's a lot of theology that they talk about. And there's a moment in the middle of that conversation where this woman is dying for a drink of water because Jesus promises a drink of water that will never run dry in her life. She says, please tell me about it. And he says, if you knew who was speaking to you, 
me, Jesus. I would give you living waters that would well up inside of you like a fountain bubbling over. You see, what Jesus wants to do for us is the same thing he wanted to do for Eden and for our first parents. He wants to make a well of water inside of us that bubbles over and affects our own minds, but in turn helps out the people around us. It's what we were made to do, to use the raw materials that God has given us to transform our minds, transform our bodies, and then in turn transform the people around us. God wants to form a garden named delight in you. And in case you're not tracking so far, you're like, yeah, that's great. Like, how, how do we know? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Do not pattern yourself after the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jesus says, transform the way you think. You transform the way that you think. By the way, it's in partnership with God. It's hand in hand with Jesus the entire way. If we transform the way we think, our entire lives will change. And we partner with God in creating many Edens of ourselves that help other people experience a God who put us in a garden named delight. What are you made for? I think we have it. John Mark Comer puts it this way in his book, Garden City. You are a modern day Adam and Eve. This world, and I would say your mind, is what's left of the garden. And your job is to take all the raw materials that are spread out in front of you, next slide, to work it, to take care of it, to rule, to subdue, to wrestle, to fight, to explore, and to take the creation project, the one that started thousands of years before, to take that project forward as an act of service and worship to the God who made you. What were you made for? You were made to live in a garden named Delight. And Jesus, the Son of God, who came to this world to make things right, wants to make that garden inside of you. What were you made for?